Hello, I'm Mark Foden, and welcome to The Clock and the Cat, a podcast of conversations about complexity. The Clock and the Cat explores the emerging science of complexity, ultimately to help you generate better ideas and make better decisions, whatever you're involved with. This is episode five, and I'm going to be talking with Adrian Brown about experimenting. But before that, if this is your first experience of The Clock and the Cat and you don't know what it's about, please do go back and listen to episode one for a seven minute short, sharp introduction to the podcast. So if you went away, welcome back. Here I am with Adrian Brown. Adrian is a huge public sector reform enthusiast, and he spent more than 15 years working on transformation and performance improvement in government. He's been a consultant with McKinsey, a fellow of the Institute for Government in London, and a policy advisor to the UK Prime Minister. He's currently the executive director of the Centre for Public Impact, which is a not-for-profit foundation set up by the Boston Consulting Group. Adrian, hello, and welcome to The Clock and the Cat. Hi, Mark. It's uh, great to join you for this uh, podcast. Welcome. Thanks very much. Before we talk about the subject of uh, the podcast today, experimenting, can you just tell us a little bit about the Centre for Public Impact and what you're up to there? Sure. We uh, Well, as you said, we are a not-for-profit foundation and we work with governments around the world to learn and exchange ideas about how to strengthen what we call public impact, which are the outcomes that governments achieve for their citizens. And we do that through some research. We also provide tools and trainings uh, and we bring together government leaders and people outside government to exchange ideas and challenge each other about how to improve. The genesis of the discussion today is because Adrian and I were both at a conference in Birmingham a couple of weeks ago. That's Birmingham in the UK, by the way. It was, And the conference was called Losing Control, which was uh, about 200 people from all sorts of backgrounds. Uh, and it was about promoting social change. And the losing control theme came from the need to let go of power in order to enable change. And there was lots and lots of talk about trying new things and about freeing people to enable them to engage with the challenges and to experiment and learn how to make things better. It it came out for me as, as a real theme of the event. So what does experimenting mean to you? Best way for me to answer that is to contrast experimenting with evidence and If we think of experimenting, that's the process through which we can hypothesize about the world around us and test new approaches and therefore learn which approaches are more effective or less effective uh, over time. Experimenting is is an activity that you do. So it's in some senses a, a mindset. It's a way of approaching the world. Evidence is, if you like, the output from that process in certain situations. So that's definitive statements more or less about what works and what happens if if you do A, then then you get B. So and often the word evidence is associated with more of a scientific approach, perhaps the use of randomized controlled trials to develop hard facts about the world around us. I, I think of these two as being obviously closely related but but quite different given that experimenting is a sort of an approach whereas evidence is more of a set of facts and I suppose my contention which perhaps some people will find a little surprising is that in public policy we focus rather too much on evidence and not enough on experimenting and that's probably uh, probably something that we should we should talk about Mark. Yeah, absolutely. So the the evidence-based policy 
has become a thing lately, hasn't it? And you, this is one of the things that struck me. Um, if you'll forgive me, the the evidence the, the evidence based approach is quite clock, and the experimenting is much more cat. Is that reasonable to say? I think that is reasonable to say. I think I might say it slightly differently in that if you're in a clock world, then experimenting is likely is much more likely to lead to evidence, <laughs> in the sense that. Uh, things are knowable and ultimately you can measure things and make more definitive statements which yeah. means things are more testable which means think, which means it's much more likely you'll you can arrive at what you might call hard evidence um, if you're in a cat world then uh, experimentation um, is still important if not essential in that it helps you to learn about what is more effective or less effective and improve but crucially, it's probably less it's less likely to arrive at hard evidence because things are less knowable. It's harder to measure things and it's harder to make definitive statements, if not impossible to make definitive statements about what works in in all situations. So I think the clock world and the cat world set up a, a different relationship or a less a less strong relationship between experimenting and evidence such that in the cat world, Evidence is much less likely to be interesting versus understanding how we could be better at experimenting. Yeah. So, I mean, thinking about that, context is really, really important. You might conduct a, an experiment in uh, one context and it worked one way and you might have a particular set of evidence coming from it. But if the conditions are slightly different, you might do something in the U.S., and have one set of outcomes with pretty much the same sort of inputs, but do the same thing in the UK and you'll get something completely different. So, so what I'm talking yes. about is context is important. One of the things coming out of the losing control for me was the importance of doing things in place. People use the word place a lot, which I think they were talking about. It's important to do things in a context rather than abstract out evidence and then apply that evidence generally. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I think one uh, differentiation that it's important to make is between what you might call explicit knowledge or codifiable knowledge that we can write down and describe and share with, with other people and tacit knowledge, which which we can't do. And my I suppose my argument as to why experimentation is more important than evidence is that Evidence relies on and can only really be developed on the basis of explicit knowledge because it, it requires us to be able to capture that knowledge and, and test it and, and share it with other people. Whereas what matters in many, many public service settings is actually not so much the explicit knowledge, but much more the, the tacit knowledge. So that's the, the experience and the skills and the judgment of professionals who are working in those services so that's why I think at uh, losing control there was a there was a great emphasis on place because you can't you can't extract that knowledge from the place indeed you can't even extract it from the heads of the people who are involved in that particular service and by and, and I'm including the users of the service as well in that description mm -hmm. and that that's why experimenting in situ where that knowledge and information resides and, and from where it cannot be extracted very easily is much more important than 
worrying about whether we can codify it all up and make grand statements about what works in general terms and, and, and everywhere, as you say. So we're experimenting and we're involving service providers, for the want of a better expression, and the users of those services. And together they're learning about how things might be done better. So what you're actually doing is changing the changing the system, changing the, the context such that it does something different and improves. But but actually, it's quite hard to take out all that tacit knowledge and turn it into something that will be useful elsewhere. Yeah, if we're strictly talking about tacit knowledge, then I'd say it's impossible to yeah. extract it. So the judgment that a teacher uses when they're controlling and, and leading a class of 30 different children is in some sense is codified in that they were, you know, they attended teacher training college and were, you know, learned theories of about how children learn and, and, and how different, how, how you can teach different um, types of class but actually how they act as a teacher is as much what they've learned from experience either from doing it themselves over years and years and years or from observing other people who've done it and talking to their colleagues about different situations and maybe individual pupils or specific types of approach that they have absorbed in a whole variety of different ways not just you know something that was written down and codified and I and I would imagine if you asked a a teacher or a social worker or a, a um, probation officer to make an estimate of the extent to which they use their tacit knowledge uh, on a day-to-day -day basis versus what they know which is sort of codifiable I would imagine they would say most of it is tacit and in that sense it's very hard to extract and make grand statements about outside of outside of that that specific situation. Yeah, so it's a, it's a, a lot of it is about human relations, isn't it? And sort of micro differences in how you behave. I just remember one of the, one of the stories of um, from losing control was from the prison prison reform trust in Birmingham, and they were talking mm -hmm. about how they were involving people who've who'd been in prison themselves and helping them to help people who were in in prison at the moment. And so much of it was about their understanding, their empathy for what was going on. And because that they the, the thing that made the biggest difference was the fact that they lived that experience. And it, it, you could kind of write it down and tell someone this is what we said uh, and this is the context in which we said it. But actually, the thing that makes the difference is that experience being in the human. That's which... right. And, and, and the interplay, you know, the, the basic human interaction that occurs when two or more people meet and talk with each other and and respond to each other and build on what each other is saying or, or react to what each other are saying in ways that you couldn't you couldn't codify you couldn't write down because they're so wide and varied and, and totally dependent on on the interplay between between the people who are talking to one another I think the when, when we do make efforts to capture evidence and to make statements about what works or doesn't work which are, which I'm not saying are pointless I'm just saying we shouldn't place so much emphasis on them that you, you tend to be drawn to making statements which are quite blunt big bold statements so you might say something like class sizes but of a certain size for a certain age group are more like more likely to lead to better outcomes than larger class sizes so smaller class sizes but larger class sizes and maybe you've gathered some evidence to support that statement if you think about the dynamic in a classroom, 
the, the size of that class is a fairly blunt way of describing what that classroom is. So the evidence is necessarily ending up being quite limited to these sort of rather blanket statements and is less likely to get into the complex interplay between uh, a teacher and their students because that's just harder to observe, harder to measure and harder to codify in a way that you can make comparable across many situations. To what extent do you think this kind of thinking is getting into government policy making at the moment? It is to an extent. My concern, I suppose, is that evidence-based policy is really the fashion of the day. So evidence-based policy has become a, a phrase which is widely used and many it's one of those things which you know who would argue with it who would argue with absolutely who would argue with policy that's based on evidence that sounds completely sensible and anyone who thinks that's a bad idea must be must be mad the problem as i see it is that when policymakers become too focused on evidence i.e things that they know in advance and spreading best practices and creating standards um, and maybe setting targets and metrics associated with, with some of these things they are either completely ignoring or at least placing less emphasis on how can we encourage the system to be a learning system because many of the things you would do if you want to spread evidence and best practice i.e you know create standards and, and targets like i was saying are actually things which might inhibit uh, a learning approach because if we're having to follow a particular standard we're less likely uh, or maybe it would actually be considered to be poor practice to be doing something else so my worry is that although policymakers do talk you know they do talk a good game around encouraging innovation and encouraging learning in public services and public systems a lot of what they actually end up doing tends to go in the other direction and they're doing that with the best of intentions you know to try and spread best practices and evidence but that that has this sort of chilling effect in terms of encouraging people to try new things and to and, and to to recognize the value of the knowledge that's embedded in the system as opposed to this sort of external knowledge that's beamed in from from on high yes so what's done by extremely capable people to make them to make sense of a situation can actually um, have a detrimental effect and it's one of the reasons that I started doing this clock and the uh, clock and the cap podcast is to help folk understand about why that is happening and and why the sort of complexity ideas are important because mm. I I I think it's one way of explaining what you've just said in a sort of scientific way yeah and I, and I think it's really very important indeed that that um but people learn about this this stuff we all learn about more about this stuff because we don't have that much experience of working in this way anywhere i i'd agree with that i think and i think the clock and the cat metaphor is is a particularly helpful one actually because it exemplifies the very different way of thinking and viewing the world as as a if you imagine a clock than if than if you imagine a cat as you've explained in in, in your earlier podcast and i think the challenge here if we if we compare and contrast evidence with with the more experimental learning mindset is we we need a little bit of clock right we i'm not saying we don't there's no room for evidence at all it's just that we've how can we blend together these two very different 
ways of viewing the world without one kind of squashing squashing the other exactly it's, it, it's very easy to sort of say the thing that's missing is uh, this sort of incremental experimental approach um, and because uh, because that's what's missing you overemphasize it and people think we cannot possibly go from where we are now to that kind of world when it isn't actually like that. I mean, um, Roland Coopers, who's been in the last two episodes, uh, he's got this neat way of talking about it. He says, when, when we look at any kind of potentially complex situation, he, he says, take a look through the complexity window, i.e. Um, plug in your um, your complexity routines or whatever it is, and just look at the situation with um, it, it, through that window, through that lens, and see whether those kind of effects are important in this situation. And sometimes they are, and sometimes they're not. So it's never one thing, it's both. But we do need to uh, develop this capability to see the cat in things. But, um, I think that, yeah, I think that that's right. And there are, you know, this is some of the research that we're doing at CPI now is to try and understand what are some of the things that policymakers can do if they want to embrace the more cat-like view of the world. And so related to, to what we've been talking about here, you might say, well, if you want to encourage experimentation, then you would for example, ask how can we enhance the information flows, not up and down the system, but horizontally, you know, between practitioners in the system. So how can we encourage there to be as much sharing of information and learning between probation officers or teachers or whatever as possible? You know, do we need to think about creating learning platforms or other mechanisms that can encourage that kind of interplay and I think we spend we spend a lot more time thinking about information going up and down the system than we do going across but that that's just one example of a policymaker or and we're using the the word policymaker here in a sort of generic sense but like what somebody higher up the system might be able to do to help encourage a more of an experimental learning mindset rather than discourage it and it's a very sort of practical thing that they could that they could look into and, and, and potentially do something about. Absolutely. And I, th I, th I think there are some potentially quite significant organisational cultural barriers to doing that. And for example, I, I did some work with the NHS a, a, a couple of years ago where we were trying to promote that kind of connection across uh, across different organisations. And we developed a, a community of probably a couple of hundred people, I suppose. And encouraged by many of the manager, many of the managers of, of those people. But nevertheless, other managers involved were a bit nervous about what was going on because people were talking about new ideas and doing things differently that they weren't aware of. And they weren't plugged into this. Well, we, we used we used Slack to communicate. They weren't on the Slack and stuff was happening that they weren't aware of. And it made them feel nervous and it actually closed down some of the conversations. It, it, it was clear that some people stopped turning up to meetings and that kind of thing. So um, in, in hierarchical organisations, there are those impediments. So it's not straightforward doing this kind of thing. I mean, have you come across that sort of thing? Yeah, totally. And and of course, if, if once you start to look outside of those organizations because arguably in any of these complex services the way we carve up the world into silos 
is not necessarily the right way of thinking about who needs to be involved in helping yeah. to improve the situation. So when we think of the NHS, you know, then we might say, well, if we were thinking about information flows horizontally, we'd be saying, how can we not only encourage those information flows within this organisation, but with with the other organi- other adjacent organisations who we end up working alongside or working with when we're trying to address particular challenges. So, of course, the police and the NHS have a very strong interplay around, you know, who, who who's coming into A and E, and if if you're thinking about stabbings or other other uh, other types of situation where the police are involved, and how are the police and the NHS sharing information so that they're constantly learning and improving is a good question and a very worthwhile question to ask. But the, because of the cultural differences and the organisational barriers, it is it, it is extremely difficult. I don't want to pretend <laughs> pretend that it's easy in any way. Almost by definition, if you're experimenting with things that are going to make a big difference, a lot of that difference is going to be achieved by connecting things that are outside your normal sphere. Um, and as you say, the sort of NHS talking to the police and so on. So this makes experimenting really, really hard. One of the things that came out of the losing control was the discussions about Bertzorg, and I know you weren't in all of them, but the standout image from the event for me was a picture that was put up by a chap called Paul Jansen, who's um, who's involved with Bertzorg in the UK, and he had a picture of an NHS hierarchy, typical hierarchy organisation chart, and then a picture of the uh, Bertzorg community nursing, which is... um. Uh, self-managed kind of network thing and between the two they had this great line that was labeled heat shield yes uh, which was quite uh, did you see the did you see that image i i did see that yeah i thought that concept is a is is an in, a very interesting one and this idea that you have to create a safe space within these larger systems these large organizations such that this kind of more learning experimental mindset and and perhaps and therefore less hierarchical and less vertically accountable type of approach can can flourish and that's you know and if we're being realistic about this we're not going to reform much though we might want to you know these massive public systems anytime soon so i do believe the way we can make progress is through models like birdsog highlight how these different approaches can lead to better outcomes and and then hope that they can then almost infect the system from within as people see that that's working well and want to be involved with that and want to ask how those approaches can work in other bits of the organisation. Let me try this on you. The thing that struck me sitting there listening to Paul talk was that for the NHS managers who were responsible for that area, this was a huge deal and it was making a a big difference to how things were working in their area and would mean really quite significant change and then take and actually taking risk. But at, at a national level, it's a sort of an experiment. We're going to try it in a few places, but it won't feel like an experiment in the in each of the contexts. And I think the thing that's missing is this sort of experimental mindset where we're saying, OK, there's a couple of places where we're going to try this. We're going to take special care to manage the risks and maybe it will take some more money in order to to do that. But this, these are comparatively small experiments, but they're nationally important. And I don't think that we're creating the 
experiment mindset that that allows this sort of development to happen and we looked at Bertzorg four years ago and comparatively little has happened in this time and I think a lot of it is down to this sort of um, lack of a uh, uh, lack of ability willingness or whatever to experiment people are thinking all right that's the new model let's implement it rather than saying hey there's a new model it might work here let's try it which is why I wanted to have this discussion about experimenting I'm rambling you know i i well let me try let me try and put a more positive spin on it okay um, good i do think that from whitehall down in the uk people who work in policy making and the commissioning and in public services themselves are absolutely well first of all absolutely motivated to try and improve things and do absolutely understand and get the need to try new things in order to improve i think that that is clear. And in all sorts of different ways, public services are piloting new models, trying new approaches all the time. I think the the, the slight disconnect, which is perhaps the, the what you're picking up on, is if you if you approach that with a kind of industrialized mindset, then you think that what you're doing is creating something that you can then scale. And you can take it up to an, an industrial level. And in order to do that, by definition, almost, it has to be codifiable. It has to be measurable. It has to be packaged mm-hmm. up in a way that we, you know, because scaling, that whole concept of scaling is very industrialized. And then I think perhaps, Mark, you're, you're saying, well, that doesn't really feel experimental anymore. You know, that feels more industrial or whatever. I think what we're both arguing for here is to to follow an experimental mindset, not just in terms of trying new things and seeing if they work and then scaling them, but making the whole system, and this is a bit jargony, so I apologize, but making the whole system a learning system so that it's it's learning all the time and I, good ideas are promulgated and, and shared and things that don't work so well end up sort of naturally withering and, and, and disappearing. And how could, And that system doesn't require someone sitting at the top to kind of mandate the pilot and then codify it and roll it out it's 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 a much more organic well, you know it's much more cat-like in in, in its yes. approach so i think that's what's you know we can get our sight, ourselves sort of tied up in in terminology of experimenting experimental mindset but i think that's the biggest difference is do we think we're building a learning system or a giant kind of machine which you know we'll try new set we'll, we'll try a different bit of kit from time to time and if it and if it works we'll kind of build a lot more of them and plug them in all over the place yes so that's exactly what i was trying to articulate i think we're in a when you're dealing with complex systems and you've got problems that look more like cats than clocks then you've got to be organic you've got to thinking about growing rather than rather than building and um, the difference between a pilot and an experiment is I think is crucial for me because if you've got a big idea, you've gathered some evidence, for example, about uh, about a particular way of doing things, and you might start gearing up towards implementing that approach. And of course, you'd start with a pilot. But the implication with the pilot is that if it succeeds, we'll go on and do the big thing after it. Whereas an experiment is quite different. The point of an experiment is to test a hypothesis and it 
only fails if there's no learning at the end of it. And I don't know, maybe that's just a different way of saying what you've just said. But I just think there's a there's a huge difference between the sort of piloting mindset and the experimenting mindset. And I think it's good to talk about the difference between the two. Yeah, I think, you know, to go back to almost where I started, I suppose, experimenting is an act, is an action. We're, we're doing something. Maybe, maybe the thing is that the important thing is that we are experimenting. We are learning. It is the process that's important. The outcome from that process is is actually sort of strangely less in, less important because there is no fixed outcome necessarily if it's a continuous process of learning. I think when you have the pilot mindset, it's implying that there's a there's a, a very particular point in time where we're doing something that we're testing, and then once we've finished testing, that's over. It's not that we're you know we we will have decided if this has worked or not and if it's worked we will roll it out scale it send it more widely but the the sort of period of learning is more time limited to this sort of piloting phase whereas my reading of, of what it means to have more of an experimental mindset or a learning mindset is that it's an ongoing process we've been talking about the learning organization thing for i don't know since peter Senge started it in probably more than 30 years ago now. Do you think we're getting any closer to working that way? I actually think that we have much more of a learning organisation approach out in the system. So if you like, away from the top top of Whitehall and maybe away from commissioners. That's so really at at the place where it matters, I think, that is actually where you will see this kind of approach much more readily happening. Uh, as as evidence that at losing control, I was yeah. just so impressed by uh, the, the the way people there were approaching things and the way they talked about things. And it was it was like a different world. It was just fresh. It was just fresh air to go. Actually, you know, the, the vast majority of people who work in public who work in public services and work in the public sector are probably behaving much more like this yes. than it would appear if you're looking at it from, from the top down. I think the the argument that you and I might have with the top of the hierarchy is that they're doing things which in many ways are sort of curtailing and constraining and preventing that learning from really reaching its full potential rather than doing things which uh, which are helping it nurturing it the irony is that the things that are imposed from above that are stopping this are done with the best of intentions because yeah. it's thought that they improve things and and and, and this is the big debate right so it's it, it's where in the system is is there this discontinuity between one way of thinking about the world and another way of thinking about the world and i think in different in different services you'll you'll find it in different places and at losing control we did hear some really inspirational and positive stories of for example commissioners in healthcare in essex i think it was who who've actually started to embrace this much more in their approach as a commissioner having seen it work in a, in one of their particular programs or activities so i think we can see examples of this bubbling up the system, if you like. Wigan has done this across a whole council, have taken a much more learning, open, adaptive approach. 
different examples in local areas of councils or, or CCGs or the particular bits of public services, we do see this. It's just that it's not across the whole system at this stage. And, and, in, and in many ways, you know, it feels like the system is somewhat working against it. You know, complexity thinking says there won't be a procession from one world to the next. It, uh, if, if we are going to move to a much more, for the want of a better expression, now an experimental mindset and working in the kind of um, learning organisation way that you've been talking, it is going to be pretty messy for probably quite a long time while, while that change happens. Yeah. Yeah, at CPI, we uh, we have an office in the UK and I'm British, so we, we we do pay a lot of attention to the UK. But it's it's as interesting for us to be looking around at what's happening in other parts of the world. And I think we, we are seeing other governments, believe it or not, Mark, who other governments other than the UK leading on this agenda. So, for example, perhaps unsurprisingly in Finland, they've adopted a, an experimental approach to policy making right at the top, right in the prime minister's office. Now, I'm not saying that that's cracked the whole system, but that they've more explicitly embraced some of these concepts at a higher level of government. So I think we we at CPI are constantly looking around the world for the best examples of of this kind of an approach so that we can highlight it because it's often not particularly obvious from the outside mm. uh, and share it with people and, and give some inspiration about how this how this can happen um, more systemically rather than just in, in in pockets here and there. We've been looking at how government should evolve and adapt in the future more generally uh, and have come up with this terminology around an enabling mindset. So government should think of itself in more of an enabling force in society rather than, and you can pick your word here, but a delivery or a sort of an implementation or a set of services. So if, if government is thinking about itself more with an enabling mindset, it's starting with a question along the lines of, you know, how can I or we help you to achieve what you need to achieve? Uh, so it's it starts by thinking about the assets and the skills that are out there in the world rather than defining the question in terms of how can I deliver my service in the most efficient and effective way. So we, we, we think that there might be something in, in that, in sort of talking about enablement rather than delivery. But it is a little bit of a kind of battle of the frameworks and battle of the ideas at the moment. Nothing, I think where we've struggled, and I say we, sort of the, the whole sort of public service reform community around the world, we've struggled to really articulate anything that's been as powerful and as compelling and as clear as new public management, which is the last two or three decades worth of markets and metrics and yep. management in public services. And I think that so one way we might be able to make some progress, uh, because I think we're close, is can we articulate all of these different ideas that we've been talking about in something which is as compelling and as clear as that sort of new public management manifesto that that took off so significantly in the 80s and 90s and went around the world. And if we can, then the way to dislodge one idea is to come up with a better idea. Uh, so that's a sort of big systemic approach to this. The other way that I'm advocating and, and sort of championing is just as you were saying, Mark, you know, there's so many people doing such good work out there in the world, often invisible to the outside because it's layered down in organizations where it's a small 
a small program over here or a small service over there is to try and highlight those understand what they're doing share that with others not to copy because of all the problems of you know one thing that works in one place doesn't necessarily work elsewhere but to to get a sense of the different approaches that seem to be successful and asking how can we adapt those in our circumstances and it's by and 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 i think it's by trying to encourage that infectious idea to spread or infectious ideas to spread in systems and 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 between different countries ultimately we will have a reasonable chance of of changing the system as a whole things are not going to change in a linear way are they it's much more likely to happen in an organic way and so that feels like a good place to stop so adrian thank you very much indeed that's been that's been really really interesting thank you Thank you, Mark. I really enjoyed the conversation. So we're done. Uh, there are lots more interesting conversations coming down the clock cat pipeline. So if you found what you've heard useful, please do subscribe and do spread the word because it may be useful to someone else. So please straight away before the whirl of the world takes over, message, email, tweet, Slack or otherwise let your chums know about the clock and the cat. Thank you. Hope you listen again. Bye bye.